0: It's good to see you on Memorial Weekend, Sunday night. Good to see you back to spend some time in God's Word and uh, to take your copy of the Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 3, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, that's the address, Colossians chapter 3. I want to spend just a few minutes together tonight and talk about our union with Christ, our union with Christ. If you're saved have a union with Christ, an inseparable one. To kind of set an example before we begin, I remember way back in the 70s, late 70s, when I decided to join the Navy, and uh, I will just confess initially, I wasn't sure that was the brightest idea I'd ever come up with, but uh, it worked out okay. Um, I had graduated from high school and was working at a place called Clay Oil, And in the 70s, I made $7 an hour plus overtime. I was killing it because gas was 40 cents a gallon, and uh, Clay Oil was an oil company. And one of the benefits of working there is you got to fill up your vehicle once a week on them. Well, they didn't know, but I had a giant Chevrolet with a six-inch lift kit and two gas tanks. (laughs) And baby, I fill that thing up every week. And so... uh, I worked at this place called Oil and my dad, my dad worked there. That's how I got on there out of high school. My dad was the air conditioning heating technician that worked on air conditioners and whatnot, and so I started working with him and learning that trade, working on air conditioners. And um, <clears throat> when I had begun to think about joining the Navy, my dad was a retired chief petty officer, so he had been in the Navy for 22, 24 years, and so. He began to give me advice about the military. So, if you're going to join, do this, make sure you get in here and don't do that. And, you know, make sure you become an aviation guy, get into aviation with squadrons, and don't be a black shoe, which is shipboard stuff. And I ended up doing that anyway later, but anyway, that's another story. And my dad said, I'm going to tie this to our study in a minute. My dad said there were two kinds of sailors in the Navy. I said, okay. He said there are what he called nominal sailors. Those sailors who were just there, staying out of trouble, not doing anything extra, you know, doing the minimum, drawing a paycheck, and uh, he said they weren't really interested in taking advantage of, honestly, the myriads of opportunities you have in the military for advancement and programs, and they have everything you could ever imagine for a young person to get started in life, and they weren't interested in any of those things. They were just there, didn't know what they wanted to do out of schools, so they joined the Navy and just doing their time. He said, there are those nominal sailors. They're just there, barely getting by. And then he said, there are purposeful sailors. He said, there are those that are there because they want to be there, and they are engaged, and they pay attention to detail. They're self-starters. They... Uh, work hard at what they do to craft, to become an expert at their craft or whatever it is the Navy has them doing. They seek to advance at every opportunity and they work hard. They're dependable and you can give them a task and trust them to get it done. And then he made this statement to me that I never forgot, that I pondered. He said, you can go as far in the military as you want to go. There are limitless opportunities if you go in and you work hard. Well, you know, at eighteen and nineteen, I was like "That's nice and uh you know didn't think much about it, but he was right. I joined the Navy, spent the first eight years as an aviation electronics technician, working on airplanes. I did what my dad said I got an aviation rate a t and you know the more I was in the Navy, and the older I got, the wiser my dad became It's funny how it works, right and uh he was right. The military was very good to me in, in the 20-plus the year career that I had. They paid for my undergrad degree. You know, I got a bachelor's degree on Uncle Sam. Thank you very much for you taxpayers. I appreciate that. Um, they had programs on top of programs that you could apply for and end up becoming an officer and, and, and retired after, after my career. I tell you that story to say that's probably true in just about every area of life probably in your profession, wherever you work, whatever your skill is and your job, if you owned a business, you certainly know that. You say, well, there are employees that I have that are self-starters and they work hard and they want to achieve. And then there are others that I got to keep an eye on, you know, that you got to watch out for. You say, what in the world does that have to do with Christianity? Well, funny how life works. Did you know that among Christianity, there are two kinds of Christians? Well, I guess, you want to guess what they are? There are Christians. And in, in in, well, Now, when we use the term Christian for tonight's study, I mean a person who's saved. I mean a person who has confessed their sin to God, put their faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he died, buried, rose again the third day, and they're born again. They're a new creation in Christ. But among the redeemed of Christ, among those who were saved, There are nominal Christians, and there are purposeful Christians. If you don't think that's true, just become a preacher and pastor a church for a while. Okay? There are nominal Christians. You say, well, what does a nominal Christian look like? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to tell you. Nominal Christians are just like what I explained in the workforce. They're saved. They place their faith in Jesus. And listen, aren't you thankful that being saved... Is all God, not us? We don't have to earn it, right? So, being saved is simply acknowledging that God, you're God, and I'm a sinner, and I deserve judgment. And God, I don't want to be judged, and so I believe Jesus paid for my sin. And you pray, and you ask Jesus to save you, and you're born again. Now, when you get born again, when you're when you're born again by faith in Jesus, the the biblical processes to begin to grow, to begin to grow in your faith and become more effective as a Christian and spiritual gifts and all that. Some people don't grow. Some people get saved and they're just nominal. They don't, they don't advance in their faith. They don't, what we often call it, they don't mature in their faith. They're still immature. You say, did that really happen? Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and said, you all still wearing diapers. He said, I'm still feeding you with a bottle. What was he saying? He's saying, "Man, you didn't get you didn't get past the fundamentals of the Christian faith. You got saved, and you still eating baby food." Okay, well, Christians still do that today. Some of the things that that characterize nominal Christians, and now I'm doing this on a Sunday night. Probably no nominal Christians here because you're on a Sunday night on Memorial Day weekend. You're at church, okay? Maybe Sunday morning I should do this. But let me—if I hurt your feelings with some of this, it ain't me. It's the Holy Spirit. Listen, listen. Here's Nominal Christians are typically lazy. Can't call it anything else. They're lazy spiritually. Don't pray much. Don't spend much time praying. Don't have a prayer time. Don't spend a lot of time talking to God. Don't read the Bible much. Certainly don't study the Bible. And you do know there's a difference between reading the Bible and then digging in, right, with a fork and a knife. There's the whole difference. So they don't read the Bible much. They don't study the Bible much. They hit and miss the church, you know, sporadic, can come, not come to church. They don't care. Worldly things tend to have a higher priority in their life than spiritual things. Now, that stuff won't make you unsaved, but it'll sure stunt your growth. Okay? It'll, it'll make a Christian a nominal person. Secondly, a, a nominal Christian is typically a bit carnal. Now, carnal is a word that the Apostle Paul used to describe a person who's saved, but they still operate out of the flesh a lot. And you know that our flesh is sinful, the desires of the flesh, the things of this world. And so a carnal Christian is one who's saved, but they allow the sinful influences of the world to mess with their life, to influence the decisions they're making. They dabble in things they shouldn't be messing with. Carnality, a Christian that's carnal, sinful influence. Unfortunately, a Christian who's nominal usually has more connection with the world than they do with the body of Christ, which is a problem. Now, what about purposeful Christians? A born-again child of God, what characterizes those Christians, which I would pray we're all part of? One of the first things that characterizes a purposeful Christian is they have an incredible sensitivity to sinfulness and a desire to be holy. And so if you're walking close to God and you're a purposeful Christian, you are consciously confessing sin all the time, aren't you? God, that guy cut me off, and I just thought really bad things about him before I could catch myself, and I'm sorry. And God, I know you want me to love that fella, but I'm not feeling real loving right now. And we have to pray like that, don't we? And we we have to pray. You know, the fast food little girl behind the counter. You know, you've been standing there for 10 minutes and she goes, are you waiting on something? (laughs) There are a myriad of answers you could give her right then. You know, but you have to give her one that's Jesus-like, right? And so you have these convictions. If you're a purposeful Christian, you do that. Another characteristic of purposeful Christians is we consciously surrender to God about everything. We try to, You know, you want the leading of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to make decisions on your own. Hey, the opposite of nominal Christians, we like reading the Bible. I don't know about you, but listen to me. I love reading the Bible. And I don't care how many times you read it. I don't care how many times you read the same passage. It's fresh and new every time. You know why? Because it's a living book. And man, it applies life, don't it? And God will move you along in your Christian life reading the Bible. I not only like reading it, when I'm reading it, it makes me want to study. Cause I'll read something and go, man, I wonder what that means. You say, Well, you're the preacher, you're supposed to know what it means. Not always. I mean, I know what it says, and I've been to seminary and I know what the books say, but sometimes what the books say and how God's really revealing it is two different things. So you gotta study. So we read and we study. Hey, purposeful Christians have a prayer life. We like to talk with God, we like to spend time with Him, we like to pray. We like to communicate with God. Purposeful Christians like other Christians. I've said this before. I like hanging out with y'all. I like coming to church and being in the Fellowship of Believers. Why? Because, man, I have a purpose. We have a reason for being here. Why, why would a person be a purposeful Christian? That's what Paul talks about right here. I don't think anybody here is a nominal Christian. If you are, get it in gear, Okay? Step it up. But why should we be uh, purposeful Christians? Well, Paul tells us beginning in verses 1 and 2. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Be purposeful, Paul says here. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, in verse 1, he begins by saying, if then you were raised with Christ. The if there is not a question of the reality of the thing. Really, you could replace it with the word, since you have been raised with Christ. And what Paul's doing is he's making a a statement to build on what he's going to tell him to do. Now, our resurrection with Jesus is an accomplished fact. And here's how this works. The fact is, if you're saved, you actually died with Jesus before you were resurrected with him. The moment we come to Christ and we confess our sins, the moment we come to Jesus and we say, God, I'm lost and the Holy Spirit has convicted me and I need to be saved. And the moment you confess your sin and by faith ask Jesus to save your soul, the death of Christ gets laid to your account. You died with him. In fact, Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20. Listen to this. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul said, man, I died with Jesus when he died on the cross. Now, the best part about dying with Jesus is you get resurrected with Jesus. And when he came out of the grave, then you have part in his resurrection. And that is exactly what Paul's talking about right here. He said, when you people were saved in Colossae, when you were born again, you were resurrected with Christ. Now, let's make sure we understand this. You were resurrected. You died with Jesus spiritually, and you're resurrected with him spiritually. The physical resurrection is coming later. What happened when we died with Jesus and we were resurrected? What is Paul building his argument on? Well, let me give you a couple of things really quickly. Number one, when you died with Jesus at the moment of salvation and were resurrected with him again, the old man was crucified. The old man died. You say, who's the old man? The old man is the lost man, lost man or woman. I'm using man in general. When we were lost, when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, the Bible says we were spiritually dead. And when we came to Jesus and we got saved, that old man was nailed to the cross with Jesus. That old sinful nature, that old man who lived for the world. And in that moment, we were resurrected with Christ To newness of life, the Bible says. And that new man is the new regenerate person. And the Bible says we were born again to newness of life. You remember a guy named named Nicodemus? And he comes to see Jesus in the midnight and he says, you know, we know that you're a man from God because nobody could do the things you're doing. And Nicodemus was an educated religious man. And so Jesus cut right through the chase of him and went right to the heart of man and said, Nicodemus, you got to be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus explained to him, that's exactly what we need. In that moment, we become a new creation in Christ. That new man, the new person that we are that Jesus creates us to be at the moment we're saved, now has spiritual life. Follow this. Track with me here. Spiritually dead, lost, on the way to hell, we meet Jesus, we pray, ask him to forgive our sin, now spiritual life. On the narrow way, as we studied a week or so ago, through the narrow gate, headed to heaven, that new man now has a spiritual perception. Now I understand things I didn't understand before. Now I read the Bible and it has a whole new meaning. Now I listen to sermons on the radio and they have a whole new application in my life. Why? Because the new man, listen, watch this, is resurrected in Jesus. I'm in Christ. And I have a new relationship with him. Let me get a little more specific. What happened in the moment that we were resurrected with Jesus and our new birth and our new man and the salvation moment? Well, number one, one of the most important things that happened is you were justified. Now, justified is one of those terms that means you were made just before God. You were made right. Before we were saved, our sin condemned us. We were separated from God because sin offends God. He's holy, and we were unholy. In the moment we were saved and resurrected with Christ, Jesus on the cross paid for all our sin. And in the moment we were saved, he removed it from our account and put his righteousness on our account. And so now in Jesus, the Father sees us as perfect. He sees us as holy. You say, well, here, I'm not holy. Well, hang on, you will be one day, practically. You are positionally now, one day you will practically be. We were justified when we were resurrected in Christ. Secondly, being resurrected in Christ sanctified us. Now, sanctification in the Old Testament meant that God would have them set apart things for his use, set apart utensils and vessels and pots and stuff to do the offerings. It was sanctified. It was set apart. People were sanctified. The high priest was sanctified. The priests were sanctified. They were set apart, not to be defiled in sin, but to be pure and holy to serve God. When you got saved and resurrected in Jesus Christ, you died with him, you're raised again spiritually, you are now sanctified, you're in Christ, and here's, here's the best part of that. In Christ now, you have perfect relationship with God who created you, set apart for his use, sanctified, purified, and then glorified. It is an amazing thing that really is beyond human comprehension that in saving us, Jesus allows us to share in his glory. Can't comprehend it. You don't know why he would do that. But because we're in Christ, because we're resurrected with him, we get to enjoy his glory as God. Doesn't mean we're God. Don't get mistaken. Doesn't mean we're all that. It just means in grace, God said, I love you. I'm going to save you. Come here and sit with me. Come here and be part of what I'm doing. God includes us. In his kingdom and what he's doing, so we get to share in the glory. That's pretty marvelous stuff, isn't it? That ought to to get you stirred up if you say, go, man, it's pretty good to be saved. Yes, it is. But that comes with some responsibility afterward, which is the part about not being a nominal Christian. You say, Okay, Pastor, I'm saved. I'm born again, I'm on my way to heaven, I'm I'm justified. I'm sanctified, I'm glorified, and now what do I do? Well, Paul tells us right here. Look at it again. If then you were raised with Christ, which is all that stuff I just told you, here's the first one. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. The word seek is the teo. That's the Greek word. And it is in the present active imperative, which doesn't mean anything to you, but here's what it means it means a continuing thing. It means keep doing it, it means to seek and keep seeking. So, our responsibility after we're resurrected with Christ is to seek those things above. Now, why would Paul tell us that? Why would he tell them that? Why would he tell us that? Because our human propensity is to look no higher than this world. That's our, that's our flesh. Even after we're saved, our, our habit is to look at the world, at the things here, at the, at the lusts and the pleasures and the sins and all the things that would distract us. But Paul said, seek the things in heaven. Seek heavenly things. You know, Jesus used the exact same word in Matthew 6.33. Jesus said this, but seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added. You know what Jesus was saying? Seek first the kingdom of God and keep seeking first the kingdom of God. And he said, if you seek first the kingdom of God, if you seek first, as Paul said, those heavenly things, Jesus said, I'll take care of all of that other stuff you need. Seek heaven first. Seek those heavenly things. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, pastor, I'm all in. I'm going to seek heavenly things. What is that? What am I, what am I supposed to do? Okay. Heavenly things, to sum it up in one word, and I'll give you some illustrations, is to seek Jesus and what he's all about and who he is all the time. If you seek Jesus, that's heavenly things. Why? Because the kingdom is all about him. So let me break it down to a couple of things. In Galatians 5, to 23, Paul gives us a list of what's called the fruit of the spirit. Now, for those who might not know, let me explain that very quickly. At the moment you were saved, resurrected with Jesus spiritually, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who is God, came to live inside of you. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul said. Your body is the temple of God, which has all kinds of implications about what we're supposed to do with this body. Okay? The Holy Spirit, who lives in us, lives in us for a purpose. Remember the justification, the sanctification, the glorification that whole sanctification, glorification thing starts now. So while we're in this life, the Holy Spirit is living in us, conforming us to the image of Christ. Now watch how it's connected. As the Holy Spirit is conforming us to the image of Christ, and we are seeking heavenly things about Jesus, it works in concert to make us more Christ-like. And when we're more Christ-like, guess what gets produced in us? The fruit of spirit. The Holy Spirit produces that in us. Let me read you the list, Galatians 5, and 23. Here it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, agape love, the highest form of love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Long-suffering, by the way, is patience in the face of provocation. That's tough. I mean, we can be patient with people until they're in your face, right? I mean, that, that's what that is long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. So when when he said, seek first the kingdom of God, when Jesus said that, and Paul said, we are to uh, seek those things above, here's what he means. Continually seek to love like Jesus loves. Continually, every day, seek to love people like Jesus loves them. Let me tell you, there's some unlovable people in the world when you deal with them. They do everything in the world to make you not love them, right? But you know what we do when we seek things above? We look beyond this world. We look beyond the things that are happening around us, and we say, you know what? I'm going to choose through the power of the Holy Spirit to love you like Jesus loves you because he died for you. That's what we're to seek. Seek the joy of Jesus. Man, there's one, it's a sad thing when Christians walk around moping all the time. Isn't it? It's a sad thing when people that are saved walk around like they just can't take another step. Man, life is so hard. Get your eyes off of the troubles in this world and look at Jesus. Have the joy of Christ no matter what's going on. Seek the peace of Jesus. Seek the long suffering of Jesus. I will confess right here. I have a hard time being patient in the face of provocation. I I struggle with that. I'm telling you you know, I think I'm doing good until they step over the line, and then I then I'm in trouble, because my old navy self, sinful self comes up in me, and I want to make the world right in one move. You know what I mean? So you got to pray. You got to say, "Lord, I'm seeking. I'm seeking long suffering like Jesus. I'm seeking the kindness of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, the faithfulness of Christ. I'm seeking the gentleness of Christ, His self control. You understand? Jesus allowed them to crucify Him, and He's the God of creation. He allowed Him to pull out His beard and slap Him in the face and spit in His face and nail Him to a cross. That's self control. That's self sacrifice." Seek those things in heaven to be like Jesus. And then Paul says this. Notice what he said. In verse 2, set your mind on things above. This is even, I think, stronger. Forneo is the word. Same same kind of word. It's a continuous action. He said continually set your mind on things above. Forneo can also be interpreted as Think on things above. I might say, concentrate on things above. This is a tough verse for our generation today. You know why? Because they don't concentrate on anything. It's a two-minute video, it's a it's a you know tweet, it's a TikTok, it's a this. I was standing next to a young man today's Sunday, so it would have been Friday. I think it was Friday. Friday morning. I'm at the counter waiting on my order to come over, and this young man standing right here, and he is leaning on the counter in the way, I might add, on his phone, just scrolling, looking at videos. He was completely unaware of the world that's going on around him. I think he spends most of his day doing that, taking a look at him. Paul said, as a Christian, as a purposeful Christian, We are to purposely set our minds on things above. That means think about it. It means concentrate on it. It means consider it. It means allow God, the Holy Spirit, to teach us. Now, this gets even better. Listen to me. What is the source of this thinking? What are we supposed to think about things above? What things are we to think about? I'm going to help you right here. That book. If you'll read this and walk around thinking about it and pondering it and thinking about what God said and how it applies to your life, and as a child of God, ask the Holy Spirit to give you discernment, because by the way, James, the half-brother of Jesus said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask God, and God will give it liberally and upbraid not. God will give you all the wisdom you want. You got to ask him. And then you got to be a purposeful Christian. You got to read it. And you've got to begin to ponder it, think about, concentrate on the things of God, the things above. Paul said it this way in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he said this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. how do you renew your mind in the word of God? You see, the world, the world has what's called a a a worldview that's typically driven by humanism and sin. As a born-again child of God, if you're saved, you need a biblical worldview. And a biblical worldview means you look at everything in life through the lens of the Bible. If somebody says something to you or tries to tell you something that's right or wrong, or has a listen. Political views need to be filtered through the Bible. Religious views need to be filtered through the Bible. Man's opinions need to be filtered through the Bible. We look at life through the biblical lens of God's word. That'll set you on the right path. But that takes, that takes thinking. It takes conscious thinking. It takes effort. The result will be, listen, this is good. Right thinking leads the right living. Right thinking leads the right living. What you fill your mind and your heart with is where your feet are going to go. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be real careful about what we spend time putting in our minds because it affects us in our Christian walk. But a purposeful Christian will spend time putting God's word in their heart couple more things very quickly. What's the motive for being a purposeful Christian? Look at verse three. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's the motive. We ought to do it, our motive ought to be because we are hidden in Christ Jesus. We talked about dying with Christ already. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. therefore, if any One is in Christ. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are a new creation in Christ. When the old man died with Jesus and you were born again, you got new abilities, new perceptions, a new family, new life, new citizenship, new worldview. You got all new in Jesus. I like the part about where he said you're hidden in Christ. What does that mean? That's kind of a neat thing to say. You're hidden in Christ. You were raised up with him. Well, the best way I can explain it is the way Jesus explained it. God the Father drew us to God the Son as a gift. When we trusted Jesus and we were saved, Jesus saved us and gave us back to the Father as a gift. So as a child of God, you were in this love relationship between God the Father and God the Son, empowered by God the Holy Spirit, and you were hidden in Christ. You are hidden. Hidden means to be concealed. Have you ever understood, have you ever wondered how when you talk to somebody who's lost or you talk to the world and they, and they cannot comprehend what you're saying? It's because sin has them blinded and they don't understand your relationship with God. I've had, I've had students, uh, most of you know I, I teach college uh, at a Christian school. and I, well, I used to teach at a school that wasn't a Christian school. And I would have these young people who would come in there and they're full of questions and full of of, of wrong perspectives. And so you got to give them the right perspective gently and lead them in the right direction. Very few could understand, very few understood a biblical worldview. And the few that understood would come to me after class and go, I need to hear more about that. And they were the ones God was working on. They were the ones God was revealing to them so they could be saved. you are hidden in Christ, and the world can't see it, nor can the world understand it. And then finally, the future, and we'll close. I like this. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him. You also will appear with him in glory. That's neat. Boy, that that ought to encourage you. What does it mean that when Jesus appears, you will also appear with him in glory? Well, let me run down the next prophetic event. If you read the Bible, and I hope you do, you will find that God is 100% accurate on everything he's ever predicted that's going to happen. If I had the time I like history, I could walk you all the way back to the Babylonian Empire and walk you up till today and show you that God has done everything he said he's going to do. And I mean spot on. So what is Paul saying here? The next event, the next thing that's going to happen is the rapture of the church. We don't know when that's going to happen. Jesus didn't give us a specific day on purpose. He just gave us our marching orders and said, take the gospel to the ends of the world, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and keep doing that till I come back. So you know what our job is? Yes, sir, we're going to do what you said until he comes back. But one day, the Bible says Jesus is going to appear. The trump of God is going to sound. There's going to be the shout of the archangel who announces it. And the dead in Christ who are in the grave are going to come out in their resurrection bodies and they're going to go meet Jesus in there. Now, if we're alive, when that happens, we will be changed into our resurrection body in a moment, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, and we too will go meet Jesus in there. Every saved person on the planet in that moment will be raptured up to meet Jesus. All the Christians from the time the church began at Pentecost until that day will come out of the grave their souls that have been with Jesus will be reunited with a resurrection body and they will meet Jesus in the air. We will all go meet Jesus in the air. The marriage supper of the Lamb will take place, I believe, while the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, begins on earth. There will be hell on earth for seven years. At the end of the tribulation, Antichrist will do his very best to wipe out Israel because Jesus has promised a millennial kingdom where he's going to sit on the throne of David. And so Antichrist says, if I can kill all the Jews... Jesus can't do that, so he's going to have them cornered, ready to finish them off, and guess who's going to show up? Jesus. He's going to show up. In fact, let me read it to you, and we'll close, okay? In the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 11, listen to this. This is the battle of Armageddon. Not going to be much of a battle. John said, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. This is Jesus. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. If you're a child of God today, you're coming back with him when it happens. You're going to be part of that army. Now listen to this. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. That's his words. You know, when God speaks, he created an entire universe in, a, in an instant. And when he speaks, things go away. So it's the sword of his mouth. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords the end of that, Jesus will speak, Antichrist, the false prophet, all those guys will be destroyed. The armies of Antichrist will be destroyed in the spoken word. And Jesus will set up his millennial kingdom for a thousand years. And we, what Paul's saying right here, will have the privilege to rule with him in his glory over his kingdom. Now, let me close with this. If you're saved tonight, if you've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you have a tremendous future ahead. We have a tremendous future ahead. You have died with Christ in his crucifixion. You have been raised with Christ in his resurrection, all spiritually. But at the rapture, all that spiritual position that we enjoy now will become literal. We'll get a new body that will be perfectly holy, set apart for God. We will be allowed to be with Jesus. We'll get to see him face to face, no longer restricted in this world, no longer tempted by sin, no longer in the presence of sin. Won't it be a great day when we will be immune to sin, never be tempted again, never have to face a sin again? That's your future if you're saved. Now here, let me put a bow on it. Oh, that's great stuff, Pastor. All of it is why you should be a purposeful Christian and not a nominal Christian. All of that is why Paul's saying, get it in gear. He's saying to these Colossians, get it in gear. He said to the Corinthian Christians in Corinth, hey, get off the milk of the word. Eat solid food. Study the Bible. Listen to the sermons. Read the letters that I send you. He said, live for Jesus. Seek things above, not things in the world. Set your mind on things above. Concentrate on those things. Set aside effort. All of this stuff that it takes to be a purposeful Christian takes a conscious decision on our part to do it. It takes a conscious decision. I have to set aside time to pray. If I miss my prayer time, the day's not right. I have to set aside time to pray. I have to make time to pray. I have to make time to read. Probably easier for me than you because it's what I do. But you have to make time to read. You have to make time to study. You have to listen to sermons. It would be good for you. Ladies, you have lots of time to do this. Ladies, take a long time getting ready. Most of the time. Put a sermon on while you're doing your hair and putting your makeup on. Put a preacher on. Put on some music Listen to the gospel. Listen to something about the Bible. When you're in the car, if you have to drive a lot, listen to preaching. Use your time wisely. Seek those things which are above. Let me close with this. I pray tonight, on this Sunday night of Memorial Day weekend, that everybody here is saved. I want to make you you an offer right now. If you're not sure you're saved, when I pray in just a moment, right there in your seat, would you do this? Would you say to God in prayer, just between you and him, God, not sure I'm saved, or God, I'm not saved. But God, I want to be saved. I want to I be counted as dying with you. I want to be resurrected with you spiritually. I want to have eternal life. I want to be that new person. God, I want to be saved. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be justified, sanctified, glorified. I want to be with you. From your seat where you're sitting, if you will pray and ask God to save you, he'll save you right now. He'll forgive your sins and he'll save your soul. You don't need me to do it. I can't do it for you. Nobody around you can do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. You have to say to Jesus, God, I believe you died for me on the cross. Forgive me. Save my soul. Put your faith in Jesus tonight and be saved. Would you do that? Let's pray. God, what a magnificent passage. Lord, Lord. Buried with Christ. Raised to newness of life in him. Lord, what a marvelous truth. God, help us tonight as Christians to not be nominal Christians and not just float along and get by and, and be in the world and one hand in the world and one hand holding with you, God. You said we can't do that. God, help us to be purposeful in our walk with you, God, as we confess our sin and pray and read the Bible and seek to have the Holy Spirit produce in us those things that honor you. Father, if there's somebody here tonight who needs Jesus right now in this moment, God, I pray for them. God, they would surrender their heart, humble themselves and say, God, there's a lot I don't understand, but God, I know this. I want to be saved. God, I want to be forgiven of my sin. Lord, I want a relationship with the God who created me. God, forgive my sins, save my soul. Come into my heart and make me new. God, you'll save any man or woman, young person, boy or girl, who means that when they pray it, Lord, by faith. Bless our meditation time now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. I'm going to be down front. If you need questions, if you have questions and we can help you, you come. Maybe you want to be part of the church. If you've been saved, you need to get baptized. You need to come say, man, I need to get baptized. If you got saved, just come tell me. We won't embarrass you. You come as we begin to sing. Thank you again for being here tonight. Wednesday night, we have our small group Bible studies. Uh, we have one for every age, limit, couples, singles. Let me encourage you, if you get off work, starts at 6.30, come for about 45 minutes, an hour and have Bible study in a little group, ask questions. It's really the place where it's much more intimate. You can ask questions and stop the guy teaching them. I don't understand. Say it again. And It's that kind of setting. So uh, Let me invite you to that. I pray you have a great day tomorrow with your families as you celebrate. And uh, look forward to you uh, Wednesday and Sunday. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for today, for the word, and God, for your people. God, what a joy it is here to be with them. We're blessed through this week, Lord Jesus, and let us be honoring to you in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen.